Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com, joined by Beavers Edge writer and KGO radio host TJ Matthewson. We're coming to you following Oregon State's loss to Arizona and also previewing the matchup with Colorado. And later in the podcast, we'll be joined by Nikki Edwards from our Colorado site to uh, preview uh, the matchup with the Buffs, learn a little bit more about uh, Shadur Sanders and company. But that down the line in the podcast, TJ and I got to uh, break down the loss that was in Tucson this last weekend for Oregon State. And we'll make sure to get into that in detail and uh, obviously look ahead to the matchup in Boulder. TJ, good to see you, my man. How are things? And uh, you ready for uh, another road game this weekend? Just another day in paradise, Brendan. Really just another day in paradise. It would have been nice to go down to Tucson. I heard 80 degrees. It was warm. Yeah, I would have heard it. Beautiful, man. Oh, I miss going to school. I miss being, <laughs> being in the state of Arizona during this TJ's fall season. Feels, it, folks. It's, <laughs> it is really second to none. Um, I don't think the Beavers wanted to be in, in Tucson much longer. That was like that was a that was a disappointment. I will say, yeah. I, I I don't even know where to start with this game, man. I mean, I right. I feel like coming coming out of the game was over reckless over aggression. I think was a term I heard thrown around way too much, and that was correct. Jonathan right. acknowledged it. I think that's almost what he said in his right. Monday presser and his post game presser as well. But there's so many other issues to this game where, like, that can't be number one, right? Right. I mean, for me, obviously, you know, we'll get into it. And, you know, uh, again, Oregon State Falls, Arizona, 27-24 on the road down in Tucson. A little Pac-12 after dark trap the Beavers fell into. They fall to 6-2, 3-2 on the year and uh, suffer that second Pac-12 loss, which, again, is key given the race that we're keeping an eye on watching uh, you know, I think obviously, you know, TJ, I'm sure you guys had it talked about on your post game show. We've talked about it on uh, Rip City Mornings this week. You know, I think obviously the fake field goal and that play is what stands out the most. But uh, catching up with your colleague, Mike Parker today, or should I say our colleague, we were chit chatting a little bit about that play. And, uh, you know, for me, obviously that play stands above. It's the one that fans go, well, you lost by three. There was three points. I get that. But at the same token, I look at that play as being in the first half. That play did not dictate whether or not you won or lost the game. And that's where I go to, like, I more so look at the – and one of the things I was, you know, mentioned to you as you were catching up with defensive coordinator Trent Bray today as we're recording this on a Wednesday was the defense looked gassed in the fourth quarter. Like, there was a chance still to win this game in the second half – And there was a a very key sequence when Arizona scores, retakes the lead on that swing pass to the running back. Oregon State goes three and out. Their first three and out of the night. And you give the ball right back to Arizona. Arizona then runs the ball, I think, if I remember from my story correctly, seven of nine or six of nine plays, which they hadn't ran the ball great all night long, and just essentially – impose their will running out the clock getting that late touchdown score tj and for me with my eyes i looked at it and i said on that drive okay oregon state's defense knows they need to hold arizona to a field goal attempt here to keep their pac-12 season championships season hopes alive we'll get into that later they're not completely dead yet but the defense knew what they had knew what they needed to do and they got cut through like, you know, a, a knife through butter. I mean, that that last drive was brutal to look at. And I, I, I blame almost that and those two late Arizona drives where the defensive sequencing was just not on point, more so than three points in the first half 
you know, not say either or, but I think as far as the result, that had a bigger impact. And we heard from Trent Bray today that the, the they are feeling the impact of having guys hurt, that Ryan Cooper's right. hurt, that Noble Thomas is hurt, that Isaiah uh, Isaac, Isaiah, Isaac Hodgins <laughs> is, is hurt. Isaiah Hodgins and, is tough. It's tough times in New York right now too, TJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but he was saying when you asked him like, Hey, your defense was tired. Like how much did the injuries affect your rotations? And he said, it absolutely did. We had too many guys playing too many minutes and it had an effect on the end of the game. But in, at the end, he's like, we didn't execute, which, which is correct. So you mentioned that the two defensive drives at the end of the game. How about those two offensive drives in the fourth quarter? You could almost equally blame those. Where the Beavers had the ball deep in their own territory with, uh, what was it, 17 to 17, 13 lead. Was that the right? That was the score, right? 17, 13? Yes. Yes, Yeah, it was this 17, 13 lead. The Beavers could have driven down, scored, won the game, and it's over. Like, essentially, they could have bled some clock, bled five, six minutes off the clock playing their style of football. They could have easily put the game away on offense but they didn't they had multiple opportunities to do that in the fourth quarter and only after the the hurry up drive to bring them back within three points at the end of the game did they actually score in the fourth quarter can, can we go back to that drive to end the first half like that field goal play wasn't even the only play on that drive that right. they should have done something else and had more points they had not one but two touchdown opportunities on that final drive you had the swing pass sorry you had the wheel route to damian martinez the play before the fake field goal that was going down that left mm-hmm. side that should have been caught. It was underthrown by DJ and he was a little late getting it there as well, which allowed the defender to stick his hand up. By the way, he wasn't even looking at the football, just stuck his hand up and somehow managed to make contact with the football. If he doesn't do that, Damien catches that and the Beavers have a right. touchdown instead of no points. And then earlier on that drive, DJ has Anthony Gould on a post route in the middle of the field that again, DJ was late on. And it allowed the safety to get over and knock that ball away. If DJ throws that ball a second earlier, that's a touchdown right. easily for Anthony Gould. That's right. two plays on one drive. And right. like you, we could keep, we could do, keep going. We oh, could yeah. sit here all, all morning. Yep. How about the Aiden Childs drive, man? How about where they? it's a fourth down and two, and they right. show the fake field goal first. Now, yes. that, is an, that, is a, that is a place where you run that fake field goal. You need two right. yards. You're not going up against the end of the half. But they show it. They show it. Yeah. They, it gets blown dead, but they still run the play. Right. And Arizona's like, wait a second. Right. I mean, they just showed us. And then they, and then they run it again. At at the end of the day, TJ, like, you're absolutely right. There is no, and and I'm, I want to clarify this, you know, obviously I mentioned, I don't think the fake field goal was the determining factor in my opinion, but that doesn't excuse the pure, trying to choose my words carefully here boneheadedness of it when you look reckless aggression yeah when you look at like 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 tj said kudos i I don't disagree with jonathan smith he knows more football than i do i'm not denying you guys felt you had an advantage on film great more power to you you're doing your film study did you not realize that the clock runs out like that is where i think the frustration is coming from tj is that like it's not so much the play as much as it was. Why do you need you're 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 asking a one in a not I mean probably less than one in a million odds, but you know what I mean of like Jonathan mm-hmm. Smith Atticus going what fifteen twenty yards like what are the odds of that? Yeah, I think it was eighteen. He needed to go yeah. eighteen yards, and, and just, like I feel like you that's a play you can run if you are on the 
five-yard line and in. Agreed. I would say, at the end of the half. If you really want to sure. catch them off guard, five yards, I don't think that much is it. Is that much to ask for? 18 sure. yards? Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, and, and again, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even have a, you would have had an issue if Damian Martinez somehow got onto the field goal formation and they right. tried pitching it to him for 18 yards at the end of the half. You'd be like, what are you, 18 yards? Yeah. That's I mean, a long again, way to go. No disrespect to Atticus Sappington, who gave his full effort there and has been a great kicker for Oregon State this year. TJ, you and I have been to a lot of practices. He's not winning the 40-yard dash. No. And, again, no no, no criticism of Atticus. He probably still beat me in a 40-yard dash, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, it, it's it, like TJ said, you're not even, it's not even like you had Silas Bolden, who you snuck into there, who's one of your faster guys, or Josiah Irish. That, that play, and that's where when you look at the final box score and you say, well, look, there's three points. You lose by three points. I get that. But then – Back to TJ's point, I highlighted the two major defensive laps of drives. TJ highlighted the two offensive drives. After you had that drive where Silas Bolden had that reverse touchdown and they re- you retook the lead, you go down, TJ, and you actually force a punt of Arizona and get the ball back. And then that's when we get to the drive that you mentioned, a drive that ultimately ends in a punt. Arizona gets the ball back, long swing past the running back. Beavers get the ball back, three and out. Arizona has their long drive to to take it to town. So it's almost like, for lack of better terms, did the offense think it was over when Silas Bolden – and that seems really like – free. like it seems silly to say with like almost 15 minutes left in the fourth quarter when they scored that. But like when Silas Bolden scored, it looked like clearly the offense – laid down because then you saw the excuse me drive to Jimmy Valson at the end where you're like, wow, where, where was this effectiveness? Regardless of er- whether Arizona thought Oregon state could come back and get into the game at that point or not. You know what I mean? And did they like, no, I don't think they thought the game was one. I thought there was something off with the offense all night. They were trying it to get the was, ball down the field. Yeah. They were really trying to get it down the field. We didn't see as much medium to short range passing that's why i mean that's why dj's yeah. line looks so inefficient and inaccurate completing barely over half his pass the run game was the they, run game was odd too the run game was the, a bit it odd. was odd there wasn't a whole lot of volume in the run game i mm-hmm. think a lot of people that i've heard on the Colin show and then on the joe beaver show this week said they wanted to see more running and this week against colorado i mean i think we're going to see yeah. a whole lot more of it because this is yeah. significantly more of a, de- uh, a trench mismatch than it, it was against arizona but I, I think that's what people wanted to see more. I thought they were just – they were – they were. It, it, I think the frustration is that they were unable to adapt to their lack of an in-sync downfield passing game, which it just wasn't there. They were they were, they were were missing guys. They were bad on first and second down right. overall. So that leads to a lot of drives stalling in certain situations. I mean, think about it. You know, the Beavers only had 24 points, but all of their drives except those two in the fourth quarter ended in Arizona territory, all of them. Right, right. And you, you, I mean – think. You would think you should have more points, and Jonathan said on Monday, we give up only 27 points. We expect to win that game. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, Oregon State came into that game, TJ, averaging 38 points a game. I mean, I felt very confident knowing that Oregon State was going to score. I mean, to be honest, when you, like, you know, equivocate, you know, that they even put up 21 on Utah, I mean, this might be one of the worst, you know, I know this is not their lowest scoring output of the year, but when you just kind of match it against opponents, it might have been the worst offensive game of the year. There's a case. I mean, I think you can kind of 
you know, break it down a bunch of different ways. But um, as far as what really stood out to me, some kind of final parting thoughts on on this game before we transition, start previewing the matchup with the Buffs. TJ, it was the yards after catch for the Arizona receivers. And that's where once again, and we talked about it during the bye week, and it looked, and per the advanced stats, it marginally got better. But tackling still a problem. Well, it's not the worst issue, but it was not good. And I would say this week, I mean, they're going to be relying on their outside and back-end guys to tackle. But Colorado yeah, doesn't mean, pretend what they are as a football team. They're going to throw the ball, and they're going to throw the ball a lot. Even with their crummy offensive line, their one-dimensional <laughs> offense, they are going to throw the ball a ton, which yeah. means those guys on the outside are going to have to tackle. If they don't tackle those Colorado receivers, I mean, every single road game we've seen a fatal flaw show up on this yeah. Oregon State team. Something has shown up and reared its ugly head, whether it be coaching, whether it yeah. be tackling, whether it be blown assignments. All three of the Beavers Pac-12 road games, we've seen something. They yeah. can't let something else rear its head again as a two-touchdown favorite in Colorado, a team you should handily beat, and Vegas thinks you're significantly better than. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, the they're, they're, we'll put it this way. Colorado's not going to quit. They're going to show plenty of fight under Dion. This is not the Colorado team that Oregon State, you know, cruised by with Mike Sanford Jr. in Reeser Stadium last year. I mean, it, you know, it's a very different team. And um, obviously, you know, some, you know, it's it, Colorado started the year hotter and, you know, has kind of run into some Pac-12 opponent play. But, you know, I think Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter and that offense slash defense, since Hunter plays both ways, can certainly, you know, if the Beavers, let me put it this way, TJ, if they mess around, Colorado can give them a game. Yeah, they can. Yeah, so, especially how we've seen this defense play. Colorado has struggled against really good defenses. They scored six yeah. points against Oregon. Oregon just dominated. That them. was nasty. And then that was nasty against game. UCLA, you know, uh, Colorado had the benefit of producing four turnovers against UCLA. Right. And a, a big reason why they were able to hang in that game significantly longer than one would think, given the talent level and UCLA eventually pulling away in the fourth quarter. So right. I, the Beavers come out and their fatal flaw against the Buffaloes is they start turning the ball over. I mean, I don't know how many more boxes they can check of things they want to put on tape that are bad, but it's right. entirely possible from, from right. what we've seen and how they I mean, come out on the road. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, right, because Colorado, that offensive line, I don't. I think Oregon State's defensive line, front seven, is going to be able to have a field day stop in whatever rushing attack Colorado tries to throw out there in addition to putting pressure on – uh, Shadur, excuse me. I was trying to think of which Sanders I was going to say there for a minute. Shiloh, <laughs> Dion, Shadur, um, but his family affair over there in Colorado. But Shadur, and based on what everything I saw, TJ, UCLA beat up Shadur physically. Yeah, he, they did. He is probably a little sore this week. And I think Dion yeah, even said as much. And we'll you got, obviously. I think he got injections at halftime. Pain, yeah. Pain. And we'll obviously. Pain. Yeah, and we'll obviously be catching up with, you know, uh, Nikki Edwards of our Colorado side, so she'll have a little bit more insight on the health of Colorado. But kind of some parting thoughts as we take a break and uh, ultimately transition into the next part of our podcast. To me, TJ, I think when you think about what they're good at, which is still being able to throw the ball downfield, you got to get Coop back in this game. Ryan Cooper Jr. needs to be back. And 
you know, not like you can wave a magic wand and make a guy healthy. And, you know, Jonathan in his very Jonathan fashion said, we'll see on Monday. So, you know, you never know. And obviously Noble Thomas was out too. And Isaac Hodgins didn't play. I mean, you know, they need, and going back to what you said from Trent Bray, TJ, they need some depth back. They do need some depth back because otherwise, I mean, Andre Jordan might be playing again. Yeah. Guy who's not even on the two deep. And I, even Mike, Mike Parker, no, I, I, his, he remembers everything. He knows yes, he all the players. Him and Jim Wilson, the radio booth, is sitting there like 27. Who's that out there? Yeah, that and, happens and it, from time you know, to time. Yeah, it does yeah. happen. So, yeah. I mean, if Andre Jordan's out there, I, you know, it, it's something that I, that yeah. that would not be a good thing for Oregon State because they like they need the, the guys are going to get tired. I mean, we have to also remember they're playing at elevation. They're, right. These guys are going to be sucking oxygen a little bit, especially those guys in the back end sure. that are going to have to run around chasing these receivers that have been playing at elevation all season long. And for right. all the routes, these guys are going to run downfield on all these passing plays. It's it's important. They need the depth back. They need to be able to rotate a little bit more. It's something that really hurt them against well, Arizona. The rotation yeah. needs to to come back. Obviously. And, you know, that's not to say that it's a, a knock on Andre Jordan, who I, you know, I think is a, a decent incoming talent. He's just young, TJ. He's very young and hasn't played. I, I think this was his debut this season mm-hmm. so that's that's a that's a tough ask for a, a, a freshman I mean and also would be remiss we didn't mention Noble Thomas because Noble Thomas had started to carve out a role in that secondary too playing anywhere from you know 25 to 35 snaps a game so you know definitely an important uh important to see how the health progresses as the week goes we'll obviously have the injury report at Beaver's Edge later this week but we'll go ahead and break uh for this first part of the podcast and when we come back we'll be talking with Nikki Edwards of uh our Colorado site, learning a little bit more about the Buffs. Welcome back to the Edge podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com, joined by TJ Mathewson and joined now by special guest Nikki Edwards from our Colorado site to learn a little bit more about the Colorado Buffaloes. Nikki, thanks for joining us and coming on the podcast today. Uh, how are things in Colorado uh, getting ready for this matchup with Oregon State? It's going to be cold and dark at that 8 p.m. kick. I mean, not even from a weather perspective, but maybe even a matchup perspective as well. I mean, this season has certainly had its highs and lows for the Buffs being four and four coming off a pretty tough loss offensively against UCLA. Just, they couldn't stand up against that front. So um, yeah, here at Colorado, it's fun. Of course you have coach prime, all the excitement. Like I was standing next to Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, like two weeks ago, you know, (laughs) There's so many many different figures and it's just such a different atmosphere um, on the field. But yeah, they're definitely trying to put together four consistent quarters of football um, each game. It's certainly been a struggle, but it's been fun for me. Yeah, (laughs) for for sure. A question I have just right off the bat before we get into the football stuff, Nikki, how much how much on campus? Because it's been such a national story has been around this whole Colorado jewelry theft out of the Rose Bowl. I mean, it's been something that we've discussed, you know, on our, our radio show. Uh, and just, I, I feel like something that's really almost defining this week has Colorado kind of been able to move on from that and kind of move towards Oregon state. I, I know it seems trivial, but it, it does seem like a pretty big story. And I caught some of your clips from Dion. It's, it seems like it's a pretty big deal going on right now. 
Yeah, it's a really unfortunate um, outcome. I think yeah. just you feel like secure. I don't think, at least to my recollection, like that usually doesn't happen. Like people, people don't go into locker rooms and steal stuff. And uh, Coach Prime, Dion even mentioned yesterday that he heard that some of UCLA's players personnel some of their stuff was stolen as well so this was probably like a orchestrated premeditated thing perhaps it's all I don't know specifically but I know it's under investigation and uh, Dion coach Dion mentioned yesterday that they're going to come like comprise a list of everything that was lost and see if they can try to reimburse those items in any way I don't know how specifically they're going to do that but yeah, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. It makes you feel just like not secure while you're out on the field. And now all these players, like they've worked really hard to, you know, get these chains and like these really valuable things. Like one of um, coach prime's videographers, his, he got like thousands of dollars stolen out of his backpack. It's like, you know, you would think that campuses, football facilities would have like the proper security so that people from the outside can't get in right. and do such a thing. And yeah, they're, they're figuring it out, but, um, yeah, lots of, um, money and valuable chains were stolen and yeah, multiple players. I don't know how many players, but certainly a handful of players were affected by, um, this robbery. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, the, the, just the headline was just, you know, unfortunate across the board and, you know, you just, like you said, you, you, you shouldn't feel that way. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's just a disappointing story to see you know, on top of everything else. But, uh, yeah, just was curious to get your thoughts on that. Uh, going back to the game last week uh, against the Bruins, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Dion had talked a, a lot about, you know, the uh, just kind of the physical beating that Shadur had taken in that game. And I believe, you know, um, TJ and I were talking about it briefly that either at halftime, you know, Shadur had to have a pain injection of some sort. How how is his health entering this week and how physical of a game was that for the buffs this last weekend? Definitely was flashes of that Oregon game, very similar fronts, but UCLA has literally the best run defense and like pass rushers in college football right now. So we knew that would be definitely a pretty difficult matchup and just seeing Shador get hit in like a very different way. Like, as you said, it was very physical. And Mm. at the end of the game, you kind of saw him like limping and just trying to make it through the rest of that game. So this week, uh, coach prime gave him a day off just to like heal and like take a break, but he's set for this matchup. I mean, he's ready to go. I think he's brought together the offensive line in these past weeks, even like even before the UCLA game, like he meets with the offensive line. He's like, guys, you need to take ownership of your role. You need to do your assignments. Like you just need to be better because you have such a talented quarterback in the backfield where you have a variety of skilled, um, skill players. And he's not even, he doesn't have time to find them down the field or connect with them. And you just saw that firsthand against UCLA, like that offense throughout the season has been pretty good, but the offensive line has been such a crux for their, productivity and of course play calling goes into that a bit as well and I think that translated with Shador um, getting hurt a lot because they didn't even want to run the ball like the run game has been pretty much (laughs) non-existent like they're such a unique group of backs that the Buffs have but only a few of them specifically Anthony Hankerson is really their main guy right now and um, Alt McCaskill uh, he came from Houston he ran for over 900 yards and a, a bunch of touchdowns in Houston he got injured ACL injury came into CU 
And they brought him to be like the running back, like the guy. And yesterday coach prime told us that he asked for a red shirt. So yeah. he will not be seeing the field for the rest of the season. Cause they've just been limiting him in certain ways, but overall the run game has just the lack of it has created a pretty one dimensional offense. And of course they're Shador is able to create, you know, that momentum and like move the ball down the field. Like we've seen that, but the offensive line has just limited this offense. And against UCLA, you saw that firsthand. They're just not able to maneuver around such powerful fronts, such as UCLA. And it's unfortunate because you sure is so good and they can be really good, but they're just, they're not meeting that standard just because their offensive line is comprised of Juco guys, a couple guys from last year. Like there is size, but there isn't, there isn't that pass pro at the end of the day. So what's the optimism level that they can actually turn it around off, like, especially on the offensive line, the next four games, because it really starts and ends there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every day is, I think they're pretty humbled maybe by Coach Prime's com- uh, comment after the UCLA game. Right. Like, we need yeah. to go out and that was strange. find some yeah. new linemen. That was bold. <laughs> it was bold. Yeah, yeah. it was you bold. Know, there's, there's two ways you take that as a player. You either take it and be like, okay, my job is on the line at the end of the season, so I'm going to play my ass off and try to keep my job so I can – have this for the upcoming years. A lot of those guys, there's only two guys that are going to be graduating this season within that group. So these are guys that can be, you know, remaining on the roster, but they're just not playing well. It's so coach prime. And I think a lot of people now, just the way that this season has gone, it's always been a problem. So I think big picture, you're looking forward just for, to build offensive linemen within the system, maybe recruit four star, five star guys, whatever. But you know, you'd be motivated as a lineman to hear that just to play your best. So your job isn't replaced by someone else, but they've been rotating guys in like there was, they brought in like um, a new right tackle, Jared Christian Lichtenhan. Um, he's six ten. He was starting all season. Wow. Yeah. And then they have a six, eight um, left tackle too, from Kent state, Savion Washington, you know, there's good size there just on the interior. Um, the guard positions they're they're just they're not sustainable right now so i think coach prime is trying to light a fire under their butts right now and try <laughs> to get them to just just do their assignments but i know it's you know you can't keep asking the same thing over and over each week and just seeing the same results so i would say like they're just kind of they're maybe being complacent right now and there's at least from the media side and just watching them each week, I have little optimism that they're going to um, maybe improve. It's a consistent thing. It's different sure. with you know, different defensive fronts and different pass rushers. Like they can have better games, like, but consistently there hasn't been a game this season where he hasn't been at least sacked uh, three times. So. Yeah, yeah. no, it, he's, he's definitely, you know, been under duress this season. And, you know, you mentioned it with the offensive line and I, you know, obviously Colorado having to pass the ball, but when he has been able to pass the ball, there's been some success. Talk a little bit about Travis Hunter returning obviously to the lineup and what they missed, you know, obviously you talked about, you know, Colorado being thin at certain spots. And, you know, when you have a guy as electric as Travis Hunter, you know, that's, that's a difference maker when he's back on the field uh, after that kind of, you know, I don't know if I want to say scary injury, but 
concerning injury earlier in the year that he had uh you know how's he been since he's gone back onto the field and uh just obviously uh, how much more comfortable is Shadur when he has a uh, hunter out there to throw to and then obviously his defensive prowess as well yeah it's you know Travis they they always say this that Travis is a dog Travis is going to be Travis and he did Travis did what he does best and play really good ball at least offensively we saw against Stanford I mean you see just how many snaps he plays. You Maybe mm-hmm. the cause of concern is maybe he's getting worn out a bit so he can give his all on one side of the ball and maybe not on the other. But he's such a consistent player. He has such a high IQ. You know, as you mentioned, like Shador and Travis have such great chemistry together. Like the way that he just like opens up the field for Shador, he's able to get into his spots. He's really fast. He's a great route runner. Like he's an all around very, very elite player. I think that Stanford game was just shocking in, in general. Like it was, it was definitely a pack 12 after dark. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. was, it was just a complete dismantling, but it wasn't due to Travis. Like at least on defense, there were some coverages that he missed and um, Stanford was able to get the ball down the field, but it wasn't solely due to him. It was just, I think the defense as a whole and offense. Um, he is just, he's such a difference maker. And we saw against UCLA, he had two, like, he had two pretty acrobatic picks, which, and CD's defense, they got four turnovers that game. And then the offense just couldn't really get anything going off of those turnovers. And, you know, when Travis is on the field, you just have a, you know, sense of security that, you know, he's going to make a big play on, on either side of the ball. And he just help he just helps the buffs just have a little bit more energy, a little bit more trust in themselves. Like, he is such a leader on both sides of the ball. And I think missing out on him in those last, those four game, wait, few games. Yeah. <laughs> after yeah. The injury, it just, it was kind of a, just a shift and you definitely felt like something was missing and CU of course kind of did what they could without him, but it also gave some players some new roles. We saw a lot more action from CU's tight end, uh, Michael Harrison, who was a walk on wide receiver. And then he became a tight end and it's been cool to see how his role has been elevated and stuff. But you know, the, when Travis isn't on the field, like their scheme just looks um, a little bit different. How's the Colorado defense stacked up outside of Travis Hunter? I mean, that's another group that last season before Dion got there really devoid of talent. And yeah, they've, they've managed to get some turnovers this season, but physically can, can they match up with teams yet? Physically um, it's, it's hard. Both both of their trenches, like defense and offense, are just lacking like a, quite a lot of size. I mean, CU really struggles to stop the run, and just overall in total defense. Like I looked it up the other day, and CU is ranked 130th out of 130. Mm-hmm. Like they're the worst defense in college football, at least in just yards allowed in each game. It's mm-hmm. over 400, um, I think 490 each game. Like they they have these, you know, like good turnovers and get that energy, but they're just unable to really get, I think, important stops. Like they, you know, yeah. really struggle on third downs and just offenses usually find a way to convert against CU's defense. I think it's in, it's in each phase. Like, I think the biggest thing today, like today, as it stands, we even talked with um, the linebacker coach today, just missed tackles that happened against Stanford with um, Alec Aomanner, um, Omarion Cooper, uh, Steve's cornerback. He slipped on the field and Alec ran it 97 yards. It was like a two play drive and he ran it all the way back. And there's just, you know, there's misassignments, there's missed tackles. It's like, they have such good skill players there. Like their secondary is, 
you know, pretty talented with Shiloh. Like he is such a force and he's a really fast guy. He can like, you know, a guy will be 20 yards downfield and he'll be still be sprinting, trying to get him Mm. down. So it's, you know, it's a variety of things at the moment, you know, their linebacker core, they run, you know, different looks there, but they're rotating a lot of guys in. And ultimately that front is just not as I think physical as, you know, we want from a power five front. And that's what you get when you like, you know, you bring in guys from these, you know, outside of power five colleges, of course, they brought in like guys from FSU and just, they brought in everyone they could possibly find that had a, you know, an all right resume. But, you know, I thought going into the season, they would have a pretty, you know, like dynamic and sustainable defense, at least secondary for that matter. But to see them, it's it's also hard in the Pac-12 because the quarterback play is just so like elite and it is really it is. hard to stop offenses these days. But when you're the worst defense in terms of um, yardage, that is just there's mul- there's multiple problems in each phase of the defense. So um, it's good and it's bad. There's there's good turnovers. It helps get them a little bit more momentum there. But you know consistency, both sides of the ball, still an ongoing battle. Sure. And obviously in year one, you're, you know, trying to, you know, in Dion's case and, you know, there's some parallels, you know, as far as building with what, you know, uh, different ways of building, but parallels with Jonathan Smith and Dion Sanders in the sense that they were building from almost nothing. Like, you know, it's like Dion Sanders, when he came in, you know, gutted the program completely, almost nearly, you know, Oregon State, you know, it threw a little bit of a different process kind of had to build up from the ground zero too. And, you know, it it can take time for sure. Um, Question kind of the thoughts. uh, My last question I have uh, for you, Nikki is what have kind of been Dion's comments uh, on Oregon state this week and kind of what are their thoughts, you know, beyond him just on the Beavers and what have they kind of talked about that they need to do well to make this a game this weekend? I mean, I think it, the offensive line has been just like the main topic this week. It was, I think there wasn't any specific mention. I meant to ask about Oregon state during the press conference and then it just slipped, but there wasn't any like specific mention of like what Oregon state brings to the table. But from what I see, you know, you're ranked 16 in uh, the yep. AP polls. Like they've been such a consistent team throughout the season. Like, you know, Oregon state's always like one of those sleepers where they they're kind of undermined, but they're always like such a tough and like hard fighting team. I think right now, CU is just really looking inward at themselves and trying to bring out their vests on uh, within each of their players. Like they did a they did a self scout over the bye week, and they looked at each player and what they bring to the table and what they don't bring to the player the table, and how they can fit, you know, their best guys into the scheme to get the best out of you know each snap and they're really just trying to reassess and get back to like those fundamentals because they are a good football team. They have all the pieces, but right now it's just, it's a matter of the offensive line taking ownership and stepping up in order to get Shador back to, you know, those high passing games, you know, a few touchdowns, sure. really, really being able to get to use wide receivers to manipulate Oregon state's um, DBs and just defense in different ways. Give time, give Shador some more time to read defenses. Like right. when you, have, when you have last week, blue jerseys this week, a bunch of orange jerseys swarming you, like you don't, you just, you know, you're scrambling. Of course you can have a couple Caleb Williams pocket crazy plays, but you need, you need protection at the end of the day. So I think that's the ultimate priority right now. And um, yeah, it's, it's certainly the offensive line because the defense is coming off a, 
a pretty good game and they do have some momentum there. So I think they're just, they're trying to just get back to basics, just reassess and hopefully um, they can give uh, Shador some more time. But how is uh, Oregon State's front looking? Uh, the front seven on defense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, TJ and I would say that Oregon State's front seven is probably the strength of the defense at the moment, especially with the secondary being a little banged up. Um, I want to say Oregon State's in the upper half of the Pac-12 uh, and sacks, TJ. Uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. <clears throat> sacks and they're up there and, and sack rate as well. You, they, they, I, it's a pretty favorable matchup along both both trenches, I will say. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it will be, yeah, it it definitely will be interesting to see how how it all shakes out, and you know the interesting thing for this matchup as well is you know Oregon State Colorado both coming off losses entering this game. You know TJ and I mentioned it earlier. Oregon State's path to potentially being in the Pac-12 championship got really thin, almost razor razor thin with their mm-hmm. loss, and now need help. So curious to see how that is. Then obviously Colorado coming off uh, a pair of losses as well, and then. TJ, obviously Oregon State falling to Colorado in Boulder last time these two teams met in Boulder two years ago. So, you know, a lot, a lot of factors in this game, and obviously it's going to be a good one. Another Pac-12 after dark, 8 o'clock for you guys up there, 7 o'clock uh, for us here in uh, the Pacific Northwest. So and we, we know how Coach Prime feels about them late kickoffs, Nikki. So should we certainly be – <laughs> should, be, should be a good game, and uh, I know TJ and I will be up uh, definitely uh, into the wee hours too, so it's nothing like some Pac-12 after dark matchup action. Uh, we certainly appreciate you jumping on the podcast with us to uh, learn a little bit more about the Buffs and uh, enjoy the game this weekend, and again, we uh, we thank you for joining us. Yeah, we got to savor these Pac-12 after dark games before they just don't exist next year, so this, this, no, they this, might is, be really... this is entirely true. I know, and CU, CU's had a theme this season of having double overtime games, and they're two 8 p.m. kicks, so if there's a double overtime, don't be surprised, but thank you for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> TJ and I could say if it's double overtime, it'll be an interesting uh, podcast yeah. next week for sure. <laughs> no, it was a great conversation, Nikki. We really appreciate you joining us, and uh, to everyone, make sure to stay tuned uh, to beaversedge.com. We're going to have more content leading up to this matchup. Uh, Make sure to stay locked to Beaver's Edge and CU Sports Reporters. Nikki and I will be exchanging uh, some questions uh, as well to learn a little bit more about each of our squads. So uh, make sure to stay tuned to the uh, Rivals Network because it's going to give you all the latest you need to know. Uh, So for Nikki Edwards and TJ Mathewson, this is Brendan Slaughter signing off on this edition of the Edge Podcast.